This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCrae. Steve Pitsick not only farms in northern Illinois, but has served on many state and national commodity boards during his career in agriculture. We talk about the current farm economy and whether we are beginning to relive farming's boom and bust of the 1970s and 80s. Plus, we talk about the lucrative offers from solar companies being made to farmers and marketing strategies for your crop. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for farmers as we head into the fall are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with those higher prices, you still need nitrogen, of course. And in today's world, we're looking for ways to increase bushels and still use more sustainable farming methods. Pivot Bio Proven 40 can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. As you begin to think about nitrogen for next year, think about Pivot Bio Proven. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. Steve Pitsick has been in farming all of his life, and he's had plenty of experiences, both on his own ground in Illinois and traveling to many places nationally and internationally as a leader in commodity organizations. We begin with a discussion of crops, marketing, and offers from solar companies. But soon our interview turned to the farm economy and some of the ways Steve sees the current environment mimicking the things he saw in the 1970s and 80s. I was interested in how he is navigating the possible boom and bust cycle in the ag industry. Steve Pitsick is my guest from Maple Park, Illinois, up in the northeastern part or northern part of Illinois, chairman of the Illinois Soybean Association, also farms in that area. Steve, thank you for joining me. And, and perhaps first you just want to describe about where you farm and what you farm in that part of Illinois. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for having me on. Um, it's always good to be uh, good to be on these type of shows. Yeah, we farm. I farm with my son. Uh, we're in Northeast Illinois, about an hour west of Chicago, uh, corn bean operation, about uh, 5,000 acres. Uh, been farming my whole life. My dad was a farmer, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. So we've been doing this for a while. Try, still trying to figure it out. Right, right. You know, I know that you're fairly close to Chicago. How How is Chicago encroaching on your farmland, and what is that doing? Are you still able to farm much as you always have, or is, how quick is the city encroaching on you out there? Yeah, so that's been changing through my whole you know life, that, that Chicago uh, snowball, if you will, has been rolling out. Uh, we're about 10 miles away from it, not really affecting us greatly. Uh, lucky or unlucky, I don't own a lot of land. So I'm not able to profit from it, but uh, we're, a, you know, an operation in this area. Um, the thing that I do see is a lot of solar farms going in now. Uh, not many people are talking about that, but, you know, there was a lot of talk about losing land to development of houses and strip malls and whatever. But the land going into solar farms is just incredible. You know, some three, four, five thousand acre sites around DeKalb, um, a lot of it for the, there's a big new uh, data center going in for Facebook there that's 
unbelievably huge, uh, and that's all going to be green powered through uh, solar. So, uh, you know, we're taking solar of one sort. We as farmers, you know, our solar collectors, and then substituting it for another form of solar, uh, which is not edible. Um, so where we're going at the end of the day, I don't know. But that's that's kind of a bigger concern for me right now, where that's going than houses as such. You know, you mentioned the solar there. That that ground that's going into solar is that been crop ground that then is being converted into that, or what type of ground is going into those projects? So it's some of the absolute best DeKalb County, uh, high-yielding farm ground. Uh, you know, the owners of it, I, I can't fault them. Uh, the, the payments are incredible, what they're getting for this. Uh, but the big picture, look at it, you know, are we doing the right thing? So uh, I don't know, time will tell. Right. Those farmers, are they close enough to the city then, though, that it is lucrative for them to go ahead and sell and then they could go buy land somewhere? Are these folks retiring? I'm just curious because I on this show, I hear from more people all the time who are being asked to sell land or lease land to solar companies. That seems to be something pretty big in farm country now. Yeah. So most of the ones that I've heard about are leases, you know, for 20 years, maybe 800 to to $1,000 an acre. <clears throat> so based on today's economics, those are quite lucrative, but the way inflation is running, who knows if that'll be uh, in the money 10 years from now. What do the crops uh, look around there? I think that you've had pretty good weather this year. Is that right? Yeah, we got off to a late start, maybe uh, two to three weeks late. 10th of May got started, uh, planted everything within a week, 10 days, uh, off to a good start. We've had timely rains, we maybe had a couple of days the corn rolled a little bit because it was hot, but uh, really looking good. Little bit, you know, I'm a farmer, so I'm a little concerned about something. And seeing a little more tip back than I would like on some of these uh, hybrids, it appears that it may be in, uh, influenced by some lack of sunlight with about a week uh, to 10 days here, late July, early August, where it was a lot of cloudy days. And that may have had some influence on it. So uh, crops look really good from the road, but uh, not as good in the field. I always like to ask, are you trying any new things or seeing neighbors trying new things that uh, are interest to you right now on the, these crop acres? I know there are a lot of options out there for people. Yeah, we usually try to do something every year, uh, whether it's a production method, uh, uh, tillage tool, whatever it might be. Uh, this year we're trying, trying some pivot bio uh, proven 40, uh, trying that out, uh, looks like some good prospects, what we see so far, uh, but the combine tells the story. So, uh, that's still to be known. Steve, one of the things that I wanted to get into in our conversation is a conversation that people can see. We should mention that, uh, you along with some other farmers and I was the MC, uh, are the guests on the farmer's table and that you can find that just google that the farmer's table and uh, it's a conversation of farmers different topics i think it's quite interesting and in particular the episode that we did with you and a couple of other farmers i thought was very interesting from the standpoint of talking about marketing and we'll get into some of this in just a little bit here but why don't i start with this you know where we stand today i think historically we would say we've got good prices for corn and beans we've come off the highs certainly that we had but still historically very good what have you done on your farm so far for this crop that is in the ground yet to be harvested this fall have you been eager to go ahead and sell a lot of bushels or do you have a certain way that you like to market uh, the crop that's in the ground right now 
I, I have a certain way to do things until I'm humbled and proven wrong. And that happens a lot. Um, I did, I did get aggressive selling, uh, in April, May. It seems like that may be our new seasonal high. Uh, right now we could be in a seasonal low. It seems like around that September 1st, uh, area, the last few years has been a seasonal low. And then we rally from here into planning season. So just kind of keep my, my opportunities open, um, probably more unpriced now than I have been in previous years. Uh, I can't give you a good reason for it. It's just I've got a feel that we're in this kind of change now. Uh, you know, from 2013, say, to 18 or 19, the best thing to do was sell early, uh, capture the carry, uh, things like that. Uh, then we transitioned, and nobody gave us notice, uh, we transitioned to an environment of hang on as long as you could because prices were better in the future. And now that once everybody gets that figured out, the game will change again without notice and we'll move into a new pricing uh, seasonal pattern uh, probably in the next couple of years. So this is one of the discussions we had in that episode of The Farmer's Table of, okay, things are always changing, as you mentioned, and of course, prices and input prices, both the price uh, that we sell crop for is pretty volatile right now. So do you try to stick with a certain game plan? Are you always looking at each year and, and changing it up? What you've, you've been doing this for a while, or is there any hope for us to, to try to figure out how, how to market? Because you know everybody has an opinion, but I'm interested in what's working or not working for you. Yeah, I, I don't know that anything works all the time. I, I was a student of, of Gone. Uh, Fibonacci cycles, Elliott Wave, all of that stuff 40 years ago when I was young, had time to deal with it. Uh, I thought I had everything figured out, seasonal patterns, uh, basis, you know, retracements, all of that. And I did for a while, and then the game changed. And I've subscribed to about every marketing service out there. Everybody's got their day they talk about, just like I have the day I talked about. I got... Uh, Eight uh, eight fifty nine for some corn this year. It's only seventy five hundred bushel out of three hundred thousand. It isn't much, but that's what I'm going to talk about uh, because I had that big win. It, it I don't know. I spend a lot of time on production. Uh, I think that's something I can actually do something about most of the time. But I need to get the bushels to be able to sell. So you've only got so many hours in a day. I'm going to spend them on production. And then I think over years of time, if you play this game long enough, marketing will average out. Your neighbor may do better this year. You'll do better the next. Uh, that'll average out over time. Uh, just trying to know your cost of production. When there's good opportunities, look at those charts. When you're in extreme highs, you got to be taking some of the cookies off the table. You just got to be selling some. When it's in the lows, just kind of sit around and wait. Go do something else. Get distracted. Let the market change. Do you have any game plan on your inputs? Because, of course, now, especially with nitrogen, things have, have certainly gone much higher than they have been historically. Do you try to lock in those inputs or average those out? It, just like we would think about selling a crop, what are you doing on the input side? Yeah, so typically I would say most of my life, most of my career, we bought our inputs at a one-shot deal. Just, you know, you go buy them. It is what it is. Uh, we've always sold grain in multiple times. 
Uh, last year, we were fortunate and got lucky more than foresight and bought a lot of stuff in July, August. This time uh, last year, uh, and got real lucky and with the prices as they changed. Uh, going into next year, I, I'm not sure that's going to be the right game plan. It seems like everybody knows this, and when everybody knows something, it usually doesn't work. Uh, we have bought some inputs on the chemical side. Uh, they backed off and some of the Roundup and some other chemicals, we've been able to procure those. Nitrogen, I'm trying to move to maybe a different model of price averaging. Uh, buy some of it now. Maybe, you know, I, I probably want to have it all priced by the first of the year. But again, kind of an audible. Uh, space out those purchases now because I don't know what the market is going to do. I, I think a lot of what we do is just an audible. Look at what the best intelligence that day is. Make a decision and live with it. Move on. How much does the input price then drive what you do on selling? So in other words, if you've had to give more historically for these inputs, does that tend to change the way you look at selling that crop as well? Do you, anytime it gets above a certain price, say, hey, I want to go ahead and take my profits because I need to now because there's more money on the table? Or does that change things at all, depending on what you've had to do on the input side? Yeah, it does change the way we look at things. You know, there's a lot more risk out there now at these higher prices. And we need to, you know, if, if corn is is $6 or $7, nitrogens or any of the fertilizer products are kind of priced accordingly. So I need to be selling some of that high-priced corn along when I buy the high-priced nitrogen. But I'm not sure that the right way to do it is is on a one-for-one, dollar-for-dollar, because I think we could get too many bushels locked away at what we think is a good price and then miss the opportunities on an even higher price. We've seen that happen. I've got some friends. It didn't happen to me, of course. But some friends who have flex leases, and when corn got to $5, they went ahead and sold some. And then they had a short crop, and then the market rallied after that, and they were locked into paying a higher price on that fact flex lease, but they didn't have the bushels to cover it. And it was a, a major pain point, you know, in a, in a really prosperous looking year, not being able to capitalize on it. So maybe we've moved to a different model of how we lay off those dollars. You know, maybe it's the, say, I'm, I'm, I'm used to paying $300 an acre rent at $4 corn. Uh, so now it's $6 corn if the rent is X. You know, what do I do? It's just the extra dollars that are at risk. It's not the base part of it. So I just sell enough of those extra or the extra, cover the extra dollars with these high-priced bushels and leaving more bushels to be able to capture uh, some of that potential. The situation we're in now seems to be eerily similar to what I started with when I started farming in the mid-70s. I was in 4-H and FFA, so I didn't get a real feel for it, but you know, I remember my dad just going and buying things because tomorrow it was going to be higher priced. And we're almost kind of in that same deal. Just buy it. You're going to need it. It's going up tomorrow. Uh, but then that does change at some point down the road, and we have to pay for that uh, good times. Now, is that three years away? Is it five, seven? I don't know. But there will be a day of reckoning for this good time, if you will. Talk about that for a moment, because I know, as you said, you were young, but you know, I remember the 80s can remember a little bit of the, the 70s, not that much. But do you see this stacking up the same? Certainly, we aren't at the interest rates that we got to at that point. Uh, but we have certainly had a run up in input prices, land prices, so forth. How much overlap do you see? Is it setting up the same as it did 
you know, 40 years ago or so. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's typical. A lot of, a lot is different, but there's a lot, a lot the same. So yeah, it's the same. We're having this big run up in price, you know, $6 corns, the, uh, what used to be $4 combines going up 10, 12, 15% on a $500,000 machine. You know, that's 60, 70 grand that that machine's going up a year. That was twice of what a machine was in 1970-something. So, yeah, where does this all go? I, I look back, and I don't remember it well, but the farming par- portion of the operation was still profitable, as I remember, you know, in that time period. You could say from 79 to 85, it was still profitable to farm. The problems came from too much debt and that 20 21% interest uh, that people were paying so I think, you know, keep things lean. You know, they always say the, uh, the uh, seeds of despair are sown in the best of times. And I think that's kind of what's happening now. You know, we're trying to make plans, budgeting, you know, hey, yeah, I can pay for this combine based on $7 corn in the next five years. It all works. And then about year four or five, uh, everything turns upside down. We have great years, production, whatever happens. And we go back to a sub $7 corn. And uh, you don't have the wherewithal to make those payments. And that's what happened in the 80s. You know, the land payments became more than what you could, what you could handle. And then it just kind of imploded on itself and, and crashed itself, if you will, because as stuff came back on the market, there was nobody to pick it up. Then it, it deflated in value. Everybody became upside down the bought land until it found a medium or price level that kind of stopped things. And then it took 10 years to recover. And then we took off from there. You know, looking forward, I think there's a lot of things that are still being felt today because of the things that have happened there. I look at my generation, and we're like the last big generation to be farmers. As I look around on my peers, there's a whole bunch of us that started in at 70 to maybe 82, 83 that are currently farming. But there wasn't a whole lot of people that started from 85 until 2003, 4, 5. There was a few, but not a lot. Most people were encouraged by their parents to go to town, get a job, do something off the farm. Farming sucks. So as I look forward in the next 10, 15 years, as we retire, the next generation that is farming, my son, you know, those of you in the in your 30s and 40s, there's huge potential out here to run some giant operations. But I don't know where you get financed. The amount of money it's going to take to run a 20,000 acre operation is just... Uh, I don't know how that's all going to play out. Well, based on what you saw 40 or more years ago, has that influenced how you are going to farm here over the next five years or so? Maybe they aren't exactly the same situations, but is it changing the way you're doing business right now? Yeah, I, I sense a little bit of things that my grandpa went through and my dad laughed at, but now I understand why my grandpa did it. You know, he went through the depression and they were cautious of debt. They just didn't extend themselves. And I saw my dad laugh that off. You know, that's stupid. We need to buy stuff. It's going it's going up. You need to buy land. And then he got caught and paid the price. So looking at those lessons, I'm just a little bit cautious on these long-term deals. Uh, you may miss out short-term, but I think long-term, um, history might suggest that it's a thing to do. You know, just caution on these long-term debt at these, uh, you know, I think the last five years, 
the amount of turmoil and change in agriculture actually in the world has been more than I witnessed the first 40 years of my career combined. It's just crazy. So if we think about, you know, COVID, trade wars, inflation, supply chain issues, you know, it, it used to be really simple when we just worried about, uh, you know, whatever it was that was really nothing compared to what we're doing now. With the equipment prices where they're at right now, has that changed anything you're doing on buying or leasing or how long you're keeping equipment and so forth? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, interesting place. You know, I look at that and, you know, like a new a new machine, uh, just recently a 12 to 15% price increase, and that's a third price increase this year. So looking at combines going up, you know, 60 to 100,000 a year. Uh, I'm generally not a first buyer of machines. I'm usually a second or third purchaser. And I just, uh, I'm not sure, you know, in this environment, there has to be a purchaser at every point. So not all of us can be first buyers. Not all of us can be second, third. You know, there has to be everybody in that point to give economy to the machinery market. And at what point does that first purchaser back away or whatever it is on that machine and not buy it or have to take a huge write-off depreciation to get it to the point where the second person is willing to step up and buy it. I just, I don't know where that goes. I look at the supply chain issues. You know, we're wearing machinery out every day, every year. Most of the major manufacturers know how many machines they need to build based on how fast we wear them out. And if they can't build them that fast, to keep up with our wear demand, if you will. Uh, the, the used machinery market's going to stay pretty good for a long time. And, and yeah, there's so many dynamics out here at play. Uh, what does interest rates do? You know, we're doubling interest rates. It, it, it definitely has a component. I don't know that, that leasing or buying is a big uh, difference right now. You're still paying for the machine somehow, some way. Uh, looking way in the distant future, if we get these machine costs too high for an individual person to buy it, does the major manufacturing go to a different model? And does that become a subscription-based model where they own the machine and we just pay for it based on usage? We're, we're, we're kind of doing that now. And I think that's just a step change into a, you know, we own it. We feel like it's it's ours, but it's just a, a time that we own it, we pay to trade based on hours on the machine and, you know, maybe moving to a full, we don't own it at all. We just pick up the machine, do our job and then pay for use. Steve, before we run out of time, I'd be interested in your role there with uh, the chairman of Illinois Soybean Association. Certainly there's a lot going on, not only at the state level, but national level. Any thoughts you have right now on just things in the, the soybean world, if you will, that's on your mind? Yeah, the soy, it's its really fascinating being chairman. Uh, we get to do a lot of neat things, uh, see a lot of people. Been in D.C. twice this summer as we uh, <clears throat> lobby for different things. Probably the biggest thing, new farm bill coming up, making sure the crop insurance gets uh, kind of maintained at the state, same level it is. Uh, the other thing that's kind of fascinating, three or five years ago when I got on the board, uh, Meal was the major driver of usage of soybeans. Oil was kind of a leftover product, kind of figured out what to do with it. 
in just five years, that's made a 180 shift. And now the oil consumption because of the biofuels, green energy thing is really, really sucking on that soybean oil. Uh, the Ukraine situation changed that too. Uh, but now oil is the driver of the soybean market. Uh, where this goes in the next few years, I don't know. It depends on a lot on uh, tax incentives. Uh, some of them were passed in the in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, where that goes, uh, just a lot of activity, a lot of talk about uh, the inclusion of, of soybean oil in a lot of these, uh, whether it's sustainable aviation fuel. Traditional biodiesel has been around 30 years. I think that's a very important market that still needs to be satisfied, but then also renewable diesel, especially on the West Coast with the uh, low carbon fuel standards they have out there. Steve, good conversation. I wish you the best on the fall harvest that's coming up. Always good to visit. Thank you. It's always great to uh, share the story. Thanks, Andrew. As I mentioned in the interview, you can catch Steve and other farmers discussing ag topics on the Farmer's Table TV show. You can find it online. There are several episodes available, and I think you'll enjoy the topics. Just look for the Farmer's Table video series. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at FarmingTheCountryside.com, and you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, and now follow Farming the Countryside on Instagram and its own YouTube channel. I think you'll enjoy seeing some of the time-lapse videos we've recently shot, looking at things on our own place, from gathering cattle on horseback to following the corn silage crew. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.